0: Well we are, as I mentioned, uh, starting a new study in second Corinthians, and today we're just going to get a very high overview of the book of second corinthians we 're going to uh, look at it from an, an over overview type perspective, and we will come back in the, the coming weeks and we'll zoom in and we'll look at each verse in its context and we 'll go all the way through the book verse by verse as we are Uh, accustomed to doing, but today we're going to be looking at a lot of different verses, and uh, we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit, but hopefully we can get a a little bit clearer picture of what it is we're dealing with here in the book of 2 Corinthians. And I want to look at that by drawing our attention to two different aspects of the book. I first want to look at the context of the letter, and then we'll look at the The content of the letter. So the context in which the letter was written and um, it was sent, and then we'll go and we'll look at the content of the letter. So first off, I want to talk about the the culture of the city. And if you guys have been with us for our study on 1 Corinthians, you know quite a bit already about the, the city of Corinth and the problems and the issues in Corinth, but we will try to draw up those those memories and draw our mind back to uh, those specifics that we learned about in that first study, because we're dealing with the same city, the city of Corinth, in this book, obviously. So this city is really a, a young city. Corinth wasn't around for uh, a long time up until this point. It was a city that was destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC, but that destruction only lasted maybe a century or so. Until uh, Julius Caesar he came back in. He set up the city. He found that okay, well, that city was there for a good reason, a good purpose. It's very strategically located, and so he wanted to rebuild and reestablish that city. And so at this point that we're coming into the picture in Second Corinthians, this city is only less than a hundred years old that it's been around. So this is a very young city, very new city, so to speak. It's also a a large city, a city of Half a million people, 500,000 people live in this one city of Corinth. And just to give you a little bit of context, that's nearly the size of all of Utah County. We have 680,000 people in Utah County, and that, they're all crammed into this one small city of Corinth. Uh, it was uh, not Athens, but Corinth that was the city of the, the Roman province in that area of Achaia. Corinth was the capital, and that's where people went. That's where they, they populated it was largely populated by freed slaves, which is kind of ironic because before it was destroyed in 146, it was kind of a, a mecca, a slave trade mecca. And now when, when Julius Caesar came in and he reestablished this city, it's now populated primarily by freed slaves from all over the Roman Empire. They go in and they, they congregate here in Corinth. And with the fact that they're, they're congregating there in Corinth and they're from all over, they're not the only ones who are from all over, but because of its strategic location, uh, Corinth had a lot of transients who were coming and going in and out of Corinth. They had a lot of sailors who would come by and they would live and uh, just be there for a moment and do their business. They had a lot of soldiers who would come and be there for a moment. Uh, they had businessmen who were Uh, tradesmen who would come or or government officials. And while they were there, they were a long ways away from home. They were a long ways away from the scrutiny of their neighbors or their church or uh, people who cared about their lifestyle from their wives or their husbands. Uh, They were away from that accountability. And so it was a city that was known for its loose living. It was known for uh, its uh, promiscuity. Even before it was destroyed, that was the reputation of the city. Now, afterwards, it still kind of maintains that reputation of being Corinth, right? It, it meant something to be called a Corinthian. To be called a Corinthian girl uh, had very negative connotations. And that was the city that, that Paul was entering in. Uh, it was not only this, this transient city with all these people coming through, but while they were there, they had exposure and access to the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the, the goddess of love. And with that came a lot of temple prostitution, again, a lot of immorality and licentious living. That was Corinth. So Corinth was a a big, new, young city full of sin and promiscuity. It was a mess. It was a great mission field, right? Uh, A great place that needs a gospel, but it also comes with a lot of issues, a lot of troubles, a lot of problems. And we definitely will see that throughout our study in 2 Corinthians, as we've already seen in our study of 1 Corinthians. But before we really get into, again, the content of the letter, I want to talk some more about the context of the letter, not just the city that Paul is there ministering in, but how he got there and the, the different communication that he's had with them up until this point. So I want to uh, kind of go back to when Paul was first introduced to the city. It was on his second missionary journey, and he had spent 18 months with these Corinthians. So he Grew to be really close with this church that was at Corinth. This church that he had planted, that he had established, and he was ministering alongside of Priscilla and Aquila. Those should be some names that are familiar to us. Um, with Silas and Timothy, other names that we should know pretty well by this point. Uh, these are all people who had a hand in the ministry at Corinth. And I just want to read from Acts five or Acts eighteen rather verses 10 through 11. And at the end of verse 10, Jesus says about this city of Corinth, he says, I have many people in this city. And then verse 11 says that he, that is Paul, settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So after Jesus came and told Paul in a vision that he has many people in this city, you don't have to worry about being hurt. Paul said, all right, well, I'm going to set up shop for a little while here in this city. And he did so with his friends Aquila and Priscilla, and they were both tent makers, or they were all tent makers, and they gathered together and uh, they encouraged each other in this church planting effort. And this took place around 51, 52 AD is when Paul first went to Corinth and set up his year and a half uh, homestead, I suppose, in the city of Corinth. Now in First Corinthians, we get a, a glimpse of the relationship that Paul had with these people. Again, living with them uh, in very close proximity for a year and a half, teaching on a daily basis. Paul grew to, to know these people very well. He grew to love these people very much. Uh, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says that he is always thanking God for them. Constantly, he is praying for them. He calls them throughout the letter brothers. He calls them co-workers. He uses phrases and words like we and are and us. He is including himself with these Corinthians, who again, as we know from our study in 1 Corinthians, they're not the ideal church, right? They have some problems. They have some issues. But Paul isn't hesitant to associate himself with them, to call them brothers, coworkers, to say, we have this mission, we have this goal in common with each other. And at the end of 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm greeting you with my own hand, in my own hand. And he says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. So we know that Paul had a great love, a great concern for these really messed up Christians at the city of Corinth. Uh, He shows his love all throughout 1 Corinthians. And we see that, especially in 2 Corinthians 2, that he loves them and he loves them enough to call them out. We see that a lot in 1 Corinthians, right? it takes a, a lot of love to call somebody out. I'm not just going to call somebody out if I don't really care about them too much. If they're sinning, if they are uh, doing things that are going to harm themselves, I'm, I'm going to try to stay away from that because that's drama, that's problems, right? And I don't want issues with that unless it's somebody that I love and care about. Then I'm going to let them know, hey, this is an, an issue that we need to address. And we see that especially at the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, he even calls them to take into account to question their own salvation. He says, test yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. That is great love that would cause somebody to call out a friend or a brother. Uh, It's the the kisses of an enemy, right? That you need to watch out for. Um, But somebody who's telling you what to look out for, that's a true friend. And Paul was a true friend to these Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 4, we get a glimpse into this love and this passion that Paul has for these people 1 Corinthians 4:14 4, he says i do not write these things to shame you but to admonish you as my beloved children for if you were were to have countless tutors in christ yet you would not have many fathers for in christ jesus i became your father through the gospel therefore i exhort you be imitators of me for this reason, I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. So again, we see he's saying, hey, I'm calling you guys out because I love you. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to hurt you, but because you guys are my children. And in fact, he says, Timothy, my beloved child, I've sent him to you. That's just a, a display of how much love and concern that Paul has for these people at Corinth. But before Paul ever sent Timothy to, to Corinth, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit here. Uh, after staying there for a year and a half, Paul left Corinth. He's a a traveling missionary, right? That is his calling. He's a a missionary to the Gentiles and he's going out to all the different Gentiles. And so he left from Corinth and he went over to Ephesus. He stayed in Ephesus for about three years. And during that time, he sent Apollos back to Corinth. And so now Apollos has a a relationship with these, these people, this church at Corinth. And Paul kept in touch with these Corinthians while he was gone, while he was in Ephesus. He had, again, back in 1810, Acts 1810, Jesus says, I have many people in in Corinth, in this city. And Paul grew to know them, grew to love them. He communicated with them, kept in contact with them. And through this communication, Paul learns after 1 Corinthians, or after his first visit to Corinth, rather, that this church has some problems, that they're having some issues. And so, Uh, we see in, um, I want to look at 1 Corinthians, even before we get to this letter of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, we see that Paul had a, a previous letter that he wrote to them, previous communication with this church at Corinth. That verse says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And we know because of this verse that Paul had written to them before. It's not a a letter that we have. In fact, it's called and often referred to as the lost letter. So there was a letter before 1 Corinthians. So our 1 Corinthians isn't really the first letter that Paul wrote to to Corinth. It's at least the the second letter that he wrote to them. It's just the first one that we have in our Bible. So this lost letter uh, was written to this church that Paul loved in order to address some of these issues that he had learned of and, and heard of through the grapevine, through his communication with these other believers in Corinth. And then after that is when we see this letter of 1 Corinthians, which is written to this same church. And again, we know that it's a, a letter that is, again, uh, addressing some bad news that Paul, again, once more got some more bad news from this uh, or about this church. In First Corinthians one eleven, he says, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. That's kind of a, an understatement, right? He says, I, I've heard you guys have problems. You guys are fighting and not getting along, and that's his purpose for writing First Corinthians. So now we have two letters that uh, seem to be indicating that there is some, some problem in Corinth. The first one, he's writing about the immoral people. Second one, he's heard that there are, are quarrels among them. And I want to share this quote with you from Murray Harris. And Murray Harris summarizes the extent of the Corinthian disorders as the rampant spirit of divisiveness, of carnality, of self-complacency, litigiousness, of libert- libertinism, together with the condoning of incest and the profanation of the Lord's Supper. Those are some pretty serious issues that they were dealing with in, in Corinth during 1 Corinthians. And that's not an exclusive list, an exhaustive list either. Uh, there are more issues that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians for this church. But uh, after 1 Corinthians, we really don't hear about a lot of these issues that he brought up in 1 Corinthians. We don't hear any more about uh, food that's being sacrificed to idols. That's something that he addressed in 1 Corinthians that 2 Corinthians doesn't really touch on. Uh, we don't hear about marriage or divorce issues, about confusion around the, the issue of the resurrection of Christ uh, or the the Lord's Supper, and yet Corinth still had its problems. It didn't get everything fixed. Just because they got this, this lost letter from Paul, just because they got the letter of 1 Corinthians from Paul, it's not as if they all of a sudden, overnight, were a, a good, healthy church. They still had some problems, and uh, Paul was because of his love for the church. He was going to continue to address these problems. And so, prior to even Second Corinthians, there is yet a, a third letter that we are aware of that we need to make note of. So, this letter is referred to in the text and by by theologians as the severe letter. This is a severe letter, a, a tearful letter that Paul wrote to this city at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We can read about this letter in verse 8. So 2 Corinthians 7, 8. Paul says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is uh, that severe letter we're talking about, the sorrowful letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. We also see reference to the same letter back in chapter 2. In first, or Second Corinthians 2.6 says, sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority. So this uh, one, the such a one who was under punishment, uh, that is the, the punishment that Paul was suggesting in this severe letter. That seems to be the, the focus, the theme of the severe letter that Paul was saying, this issue needs to be dealt with. And there needs to be some some punishment that is uh, executed upon the the individual who is responsible for the issues that we're dealing with in the severe letter. And some have suggested about this severe letter that perhaps it's referring to 1 Corinthians. Uh, because again, we had a, a lot of issues we were dealing with in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about this man who was uh, having relations with his father's wife. Very immoral, very... Uh, contentious. That would definitely be a, a severe thing to be addressed. However, the the verses that we looked at in 2 Corinthians 7 and 2 Corinthians 2, they suggest that it was the, the whole letter that dealt with this offender and the punishment of this offender. So it doesn't really fit for this severe letter to be talking about that man in, in 1 Corinthians 5. It's um, just one small aspect of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians covers a, a variety of issues, a, uh, has many topics that it talks about. And additionally, in Second Corinthians chapter two, verse ten, Paul says that he forgives this person, this offender uh, that has offended both him and the church. If it's if this severe letter were to be talking about First Corinthians and this man in First Corinthians five, it wouldn't make sense for Paul to to offer his forgiveness. This man didn't sin against Paul; he sinned against his his father and his father's wife and the church. And so I don't believe that the severe letter is talking about first Corinthians. I think that it is um, an, an altogether different letter, another lost letter, uh, just like the, the first lost letter. It doesn't seem like the type of letter that you'd really want to, to hold on to, right? Not the, the type of letter that you'd want to, to pass around to your friends if you're getting called out for your, your sinful living. If it's a severe letter that's caused many tears, it's not likely that you would be bragging about it. It's, uh, kind of like a, a bad report card or, um, you know, getting in trouble at work. It's just something that if you're reprimanded, you're, you're fine to move on from that and uh, let that be lost. Uh, just let it die away. Well, this severe letter, this third letter that we're aware of, it was carried to the Corinthians by Titus and delivered to them by Titus. And we see that there was a response to this severe letter that was brought back to Paul so if we look again at chapter 7 verse 6 we can see what the response of the Corinthians was to this severe letter that Paul wrote to them how they replied and starting in verse 6 of chapter 7 it says but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus he came back to them to him with the letter or response from the letter and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. So Titus brings back this news to Paul that, hey, they, they got your letter, and they are repentant. They're mourning, they're sorrowful, and it was received well. That, that's great news to know that When Paul was calling somebody out, a very difficult, rough situation that it was received well, uh, and that they were repentant after this this confrontational issue of the severe letter. So finally, after this lost letter has been sent to Corinth, after 1 Corinthians, and now the severe letter, we get to this letter of 2 Corinthians, this letter that we're going to spend the next several months in. And in this letter, he is writing ahead again to the same church to let them know that he wants to come to them again. He's planning a a third visit to come to them uh, once again. Now, we saw back in Acts 18, the first time that Paul visited them. He spent 18 months with them. And this letter addresses a second time that Paul went to, to Corinth. But this second trip that Paul made, it wasn't a, a very successful trip. It was a, also a tearful trip. So let's take a look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and get a little bit of information on this second trip that Paul spent with them. He says in Second uh, Corinthians 1.15, he says, "...in the, this confidence I intended at first to come to you, so that you might twice receive a blessing." that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this. Um, So there he was uh, intending to come to them twice. He wanted to, to go through Corinth and come back again through Corinth, but he ended up not doing that because his first trip through Corinth was so contentious. In fact, we see in verse one of chapter two, he says, but I determined this for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again. So his plan was to, again, go through Corinth and come back through Corinth. And now here in chapter two, he's saying, I I decided to change my plans. Don't think that I'm uh, a flake for doing that, but uh, he didn't want to come to them again in sorrow. So instead of returning as planned, what he did was wrote this severe letter to, to call them out to address the, the second trip that he made there and the issues that he uncovered at the second trip, the, the contentions that he found there. Uh, he wrote this severe letter to address them again. Now, uh, let's look in chapter 12, as we see that Paul is planning for a third trip to Corinth. And he says at the beginning of 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen, he says, Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you. And jumping down to, to verse 20, he expresses his concerns. He says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be a strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances, I am afraid that when I come to you again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. And then just in 13.1, he says again, This is the third time that I am coming to you. So Paul's trying to head off this this third visit. He wants it to be a pleasant visit. He doesn't want to have to deal with any more issues. He's already dealt with a bunch of that. In the lost letter, in 1 Corinthians, in this severe letter, uh, in his second visit to Corinth, he's dealt with all kinds of problems. And now he wants his third visit to be a pleasant visit where they can just fellowship and enjoy the, the relationship that they have together in Christ. So a large part of this letter is trying to uh prepare the the road for that third journey so that it could be a a good visit now uh some have suggested about 2 Corinthians various versions of uh what's called a, a composite theory that this book has just been kind of spliced together out of two or more different letters uh this is a an issue that is very popular especially recently it's been uh said that especially chapters 10 through 13, it's been suggested perhaps that's the severe letter, that chapters 1 through 9, it's just Second uh, Corinthians, but 10 through 13 may in fact be the severe letter. Uh, I don't hold to this view at all. It's not my position. My position is that the severe letter was lost to history, uh, just like my eighth grade report card, right? Something you don't want anybody to ever see again. Um, the church, they, they were reprimanded and it's, it's lost. But I want to share with you this quote from Richard Lenski. He says, One fact in regard to Second Corinthians must be strongly emphasized at the very beginning. All, literally all textual evidence proves this letter a unit. No abbreviated text has ever been discovered that might raise a question on this score. And no text that showed an omission or omissions has ever been found the fact alone stands as a bulwark against the hypothesis of our day. So I think it's important to, to stress that at the beginning, that there is no evidence to suggest that this letter is any kind of composite letter, even though that's a very popular theory. I think it's one that we need to uh, dismiss and realize that this is just one single letter, likely the fourth letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. Uh, it's a letter that was referenced by Polycarp in... He lived 69 to 155 AD, and he wrote about it in his letter to the Philippians. It was in Marcion's canon in 150 AD, so it has very early attestation. There's no reason to think that it was spliced together in, in any way at all. So uh, we should take it as one whole letter. Again, the fourth letter that Paul sent to Corinth. So establishing, having established a, a little bit of a, a timeline, I know it's kind of, tedious work, but I think it's helpful and important for our study in 2nd Corinthians. I want to take more of an overview look at some of the content of 2nd Corinthians. What is it that Paul is writing to this church? What are some of his main themes, main issues that he's going to address throughout this study? Again, when we're going through verse by verse, we're going to be zoomed in quite a bit, which is great, but it's also good to to zoom out a little bit and see what some of the major themes are as we are uh, looking at the book as a whole. And so we do realize that it is the the same author, same recipient as 1 Corinthians, but it does have a a slightly different structure, a slightly different tone. In 1 Corinthians, again, Paul was addressing a lot of issues over and over again. It was kind of a a laundry list of sins that he was addressing, uh, questions that he was being asked. And he would say over and over again, now concerning marriage, this is what I have to say to you about marriage, or now concerning virgins, or now concerning spiritual gifts, or now concerning uh, food that's been sacrificed to idols. He would go through the list and address these different topics that he knew that they had issues with, that he had heard from Chloe's people, uh, issues that they had asked him about. Second Corinthians is a little bit less regimented. It's less formal. Uh, However, it's not less serious. It's a, a lot more personal. Many have called Second Corinthians Paul's most personal letter, uh, which is kind of hard to, to pigeonhole and narrow, because uh, we still have the Thessalonians where Paul said, I, "I love you like a mother, still have Philippians, we have Philemon, right where he's writing to Philemon, very personal letters. But without a doubt, Second uh, Corinthians should be considered a, a personal letter. It is far less historical, far less theo- theological than personal. It's a letter where we really get a true glimpse into the, the heart of Paul and his love for these people. And uh, looking at the, the different themes of Second Corinthians, uh, to, to some extent, the main theme of not only this book, but, but every book, uh, in fact, the, the regenerated heart of Paul is the gospel. Right, that is the the theme of every book that Paul writes. That is the theme of who he is, as Joseph read for us a little while ago from Acts chapter nine. Paul has had an encounter with Jesus, and that encounter has truly changed who Paul is. It has transformed and redefined the entirety of his life, and we see that throughout Second Corinthians that he is focused on the gospel, that he has a a love for the gospel. He wants his uh, his beloved people in Corinth to have a love for the gospel and know what it is to be in Christ and to to live a life that is reflected by the gospel. so uh, just highlighting a, a few of the points where where Paul is preaching the gospel to these Corinthians in in chapter two, we see that he speaks of the result of the gospel in a person's life. He talks about how if if we 've known Jesus we're going to smell like Jesus, right? If we've been transformed by Jesus, just like Paul has, then we're going to have a, a fragrance about us. Uh, a fragrance that to some is going to smell like death because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to others, it's going to be a fragrance of, of life. I'm sure you know what it is to, to meet a fellow Christian, to know uh, this person's a Christian. This last week, I, I met a Christian that I wasn't planning on meeting, and uh, when he told me, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I I was able to decipher that he meant by that word Christian exactly what I meant. Uh, there's this sense of camaraderie and, and fellowship that we have in Christ. And so Paul, in, in chapter 2, he's saying that we're going to, to smell like Jesus if we've had an encounter with Jesus. Uh, let's look at chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, we see Paul speaking some gospel truth. He says, "Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, always being, therefore being always of good courage and waiting, that while we are at home in the body, that we may be absent with the Lord." I just read the wrong verse. All right, here we go. Chapter four, verse five and six. We, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Amen. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So, that was what Paul was preaching. That's what he was calling others to preach. He was calling them to preach Christ crucified, the light that Jesus shines in our hearts. He is the one who does a work in our hearts. He is the one who changes us. This is how he was preaching, not just here, but throughout Second Corinthians. He is placing a, a high emphasis on the gospel. Jumping down to, to verse 14 in the same chapter. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Because of what God has done, he should be glorified because he has raised Jesus. That is gospel truth right there, that Jesus has been raised for us and for the glory of God. And then one more over in in verse 19 of chapter 5. Paul says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That again is pure gospel. God is reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. That is what it means to be in Christ. That Jesus has taken our sins upon himself. And he is not counting our sins. Not counting our trespasses against us. Paul is absolutely thrilled about the gospel you see all throughout this book the not only the gospel but the effects of the gospel and the spreading of the gospel that this really is the the heartbeat of paul uh it just drives him the gospel is central not only to who he is but to every letter including this letter of second corinthians and one of my favorite verses in this book is chapter 8 verse 9 where he says, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." Again, that is—that's just glorious gospel right there. That is Paul's heartbeat: that we might become rich through the the poor uh, sacrifice of Christ. That he became poor for us. This is, I think, the the overflowing theme of. the the book of 2 Corinthians, and all other themes flow out of it. Uh, We see, especially in chapters 8 and 9, that Paul is focused highly on the the collection for the saints. That's another main reason he's writing this letter. Back in 1 Corinthians 16, we see this theme introduced that Paul wants to raise up money for the church of Jerusalem, and Uh, This book only being written less than 12 months after 1 Corinthians. Paul is still trying to gather up that collection to send to these hurting saints in Jerusalem. And again, chapters 8 and 9 deal very heavily with that. He is um, not commanding them to give, but he's encouraging them to give, acknowledging them as the first to have this desire to give. And um, he's telling them, you need to follow through with this. You need to finish well. In chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, For the ministry of this service that is giving is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for the liberality of your c- contribution to them and to all, and so we see Paul is recognizing it is the gospel that drives these believers to to have this heart, to have this love for these these other believers in a different place, and that will drive them to give financially, which will in turn uh, result in in more love, more thanksgiving, more glory to God. It's just a, a circle of. Um, gracious gospel love that is uh, displayed through the way that they care for one another, for the way that they, they give their, their finances to care for the, the saints in different areas. And it's, if you think about it, it's kind of awkward. And Just consider the, the awkward dynamics of Paul asking for money at this point after the the lost letter after first Corinthians after the the severe letter after calling them out for their sin and now he's kinda asking them for money. Uh it's kinda like getting in a fight with somebody and then asking them for something like right away. It's a little bit weird, right? Uh honey I know we're 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 fighting. I know I was just rude to you, but I need some toilet paper. You know, it's <laughs> it's kind of that kind of feel, right? But Paul he he looks past that. He doesn't really focus on that. He is driven by gospel love. And he wants the gospel to be uh, given to, to everybody, which is just displayed even more in uh, this selfless love of, and compassion of the collection. Uh, another main theme, perhaps the, the most central theme throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, is the fact that the gospel is being threatened by false apostles again, we want to tie this in with the gospel, because that's what Paul is concerned about. He's concerned about the gospel, but it is being threatened by false apostles, and Paul rebukes them fairly harshly in this letter. Uh, Clear back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we saw that Paul wasn't really concerned with his his approach. Uh, Well, he was concerned with his approach, but he wasn't concerned with himself looking good. He says, I, I didn't come to you guys in, in superiority of speech or in, in wisdom. I came to you in humility. That was Paul's mindset from, from jump. He wanted to show that he was humble. His concern was for them. But the Corinthians, they have a completely different perspective. They value wisdom. They value uh, philosophy. And the false apostles that Paul is dealing with, they kind of take advantage of that. And they play on that. Um, Puffing themselves up, so that they can have greater influence on the the Corinthians that they're trying to influence. These are Judaizers who are really trying to discount and discredit Paul's preaching of the the gospel, which is by grace alone through faith alone, and they are seemingly emphasizing the law and the uh, the place that the law has in Salvation, and so in chapter three, Paul goes into pretty deep detail talking about the law and um, the purpose of the law, and he gets into the new covenant, how we are in Christ, and we have these benefits from the new covenant. Um, but Paul is really trying to teach against these these false apostles, he false apostles. He realizes the um, the great threat that they are to this church at Corinth, and. If we look in in chapter 11, he really kind of takes it to him in in chapter 11. And I just want to look at a couple of verses, starting in verse 13. And Paul says here, For such men are false apostles. He's he's not mincing his words, he's calling them out. He's saying they're deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light therefore it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds are you picking up on Paul's frustration here he's he's seething he's calling these guys out they're not only false apostles but he is saying that they're just like satan he's comparing them with satan because of their destructive intentions for the the beloved church that is back at corinth Paul's not going to to idly sit by. He's not just going to silently sit back. He's going to call them out and make sure that uh, his his brothers and sisters in Corinth know the the schemes and the plans of these false apostles. And again, another uh, important aspect of this letter is just Paul writing to those who Uh, may have aligned themselves with these false apostles. Back in chapter 2, we see that Paul is calling for uh, a restoration of those who uh, may have, again, been involved in this controversy. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So this also seems to be a, another one of the main reasons that Paul is writing so that those who have been caught up in this, this issue that um, led to him writing the severe letter They've been disciplined under that punishment. Paul says they've been punished enough. Let's restore them to fellowship. Let's continue in unity, so that we might not be further disunified by by Satan and his work, especially these these false apostles and the the teaching that they are uh, really spewing. And then uh, again, mixed up with with all this, with the false apostles trying to claim to be apostles, uh, the the restoration of these other affected individuals. Uh, another one of Paul's main points is to, write, talking about his own apostolic authority and reminding them that he is a true apostle because these false apostles were clearly calling his apostolic authority into question. Um, these quote-unquote super apostles, what, what Paul, who Paul refers to as super apostles, they're pointing to Paul and saying, well, he He doesn't know how to talk. He's not uh, fluent in his talk and his speech. Um, And you guys need to to listen to us rather than to to him. Let's look at chapter 11. This is where Paul really kind of defends himself and says that he is able to teach and, and speak as an apostle. Starting in verse 21. He says to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. So again they the false apostles they said, Well, we're bold, we're able to speak up. Paul says, Well, let me show you, I can do it too. He says, Are you Hebrews? So am I. Are you are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, "I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death." Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. One night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger of robbers, danger of my countrymen, danger of from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea. And he says, dangers among false brethren. So he's, he's calling them out. He's Puffing himself up because that's what the, the Corinthians are looking for. They're into that kind of thing. They think, oh, somebody who's talking boldly, somebody who's talking proudly, somebody who is wise, I want to listen to them. And the false apostles trying to come in and, and take advantage of that um, are detrimental to the, the health of this church. And Paul says, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that game. And I can, I can boast, even though he's clearly uncomfortable in doing it, so that they can see that he is a, a true apostle. He goes on in chapter 12, verse one, he says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And clearly they seem to be doing the same thing, saying, oh, we have these visions from God. We have these these revelations. And Paul says, yeah, I, I got those too. <laughs> and he talks about his experience going to paradise, um, not to puff himself up, but to prove that he is a, a true apostle and they should listen to him and um be protected from the the lies that these false apostles are seeming to to spew now uh I think even more important than paul's uh lifting himself up as a true apostle is his love and his desire for the the Corinthian people. I think this is behind. Uh, all these main themes, his concern for the false apostles, his wanting to reclaim apostolic authority, uh, even the the gathering of the collection for the saints. Again, all this is driven by Paul's gospel love and his gospel love for the Corinthians. His uh, preeminent concern is one out of love for them and that they would have a true and deep understanding of the gospel. And Uh, I just want to show you a a couple of last verses that really point out this driving uh, concern of of Paul, that he is writing this from his heart. It truly is a a heartfelt gospel uh, addressing all these things, but for this one main purpose. So starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he says, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive that's 1 Corinthians, my bad. 2 Corinthians 2.4 is what I'm going for. Uh, there he says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have, especially for you. That is Paul's driving concern. He wrote to them in tears and suffering because of his love for them. And then once more, four five says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. He says, and ourselves as bond servants. That was Paul's position. He put himself in a position of serving this church at Corinth. And then uh, very clearly in chapter 11, verse 2, he says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. That's just love for these people. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin but I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ for if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted you bear this beautifully I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. That is why Paul is writing this letter, because he loves the gospel, because these false apostles are coming in and they're trying to corrupt and pervert the gospel. And Paul's saying, You guys are following after a different Jesus. That's a different gospel altogether. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say something about it because its end is destruction. And he has a love and a concern for these people, so he's going to make it clear to them that they need to follow Paul and his true gospel rather than these false apostles. And last passage we'll look at in chapter 7 verse 2. Paul is appealing to them saying, make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I don't care what they say about us. We didn't do any of those things. He said, I do not speak to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. He's saying that he would be willing to, to live with them or or to die with them. Paul has a true love and a true concern for these people. Uh, can you just feel the affection coming from Paul's pen that he he's concerned for these people? And as as rich and as, as personal as this letter is, this loving letter that's filled with history. Um, The last of four letters that we know about that Paul has written, he is uh, now preparing a a third trip to go and see these beloved Corinthians. I think we get a a real understanding for the the love that he has for, again, this this messed up church. I can understand why he would love the, the Thessalonians or the Philippians, uh, but for Paul to have this kind of love and concern for the Thessalonians is truly supernatural, and it's beautiful to to get a glimpse into that uh, really personal aspect of who Paul is and how he uh, interacts with this church at Corinth. And it it covers a, a number of themes. I know, as we've mentioned, the the gospel being central, but he also talks about this this collection, the apostles, the the brother that needs to be restored. But I think when it all comes down to it, we need to see that Paul's intention for this is his love and concern for these people. They not fall into a a sin, into a trap uh, of this false teaching, a false teaching that you and I have no lack of in this day. We can certainly relate. And I know that we will uh, be able to to find a, a lot of comfort and a lot of joy from these words that Paul wrote to this this hurting yet beloved church in in Corinth, and I'm excited to go through Second Corinthians with you. Uh, it'll be good to to learn from Paul and to get that that glimpse into the the heart of the the beloved apostle who is the apostle to the Gentiles. Let's pray. God, I am excited to to look at this book. I'm thankful that you have preserved this book for us and. Uh, first corinthians pray that you would draw us closer to yourself that we would uh, realize how truly blessed we are to be in you and pray that we would uh, walk in in the spirit this week that we would smell like jesus that we would be different because of the fact that you have regenerated us you have made us different that we would live lives that are worthy of the calling we've received pray this in your name amen